Captain's Log, Stardate 74813.2 A contingency of Zindi are visiting the station on the anniversary of a dark day of United Earth. To me, this is proof that we can grow in understanding and gain redemption. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to a brighter future. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another voyage. I'm the captain, I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me on this here voyage, one more again, you know him, the man, the myth, the legend, our number one, Lieutenant Commander Eric Welcome back, dude. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I don't know if I like being legend, yes, but not a myth. Well, I mean, depending on the circle that you're in, you know what I'm saying? I mean... I mean, you know... <laughs> uh, myths aren't real, are they? Uh, no. That's the whole point. <laughs> They're not. But legends are real. Legends never die, according to the Sandlot. That's right. Is that from the Sandlot? I'm sure that was somebody had written that or said that long before the Sandlot. Exactly. But you know what? For me, it's the Sandlot, okay? I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret. I don't think I've ever seen the Sandlot. What? Get the of all the movies I've seen, I don't think I've ever seen the Sandlot. You need to get in a shuttlecraft and go home. Okay. <laughs> go out out there <laughs> to the living room Appar- out the door? Apparently. How have you yeah. not seen the Sandlot? I just don't think I have. Wow. Okay. I don't really like I don't really like movies about kids. Okay. Because you know kids are dumb. Well. Okay. And most of the most of the issues in kids movies could be solved by just being a little bit more mature. Okay. Okay. I don't know if that's the case for the Sandlot, but. So yeah, the the Sandlot is just a it's it's such a fantastic. I think it's a fantastic movie from the nineties, and it, it's, it's not it, from it, the nineties, is it? Yeah, it's an eighties movie, isn't it? Nineties, like hold on. If only we had something to find out all the answers on the spot. Yes. Pretty sure it's the nineties. Nineteen ninety-three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, nineteen ninety-three. Uh Sandlot, yeah, for sure. Okay, it just has the feeling of one of those like eighties movies with like it really Will Wheaton, does. Right? You know? It really does, yeah. Yeah. And um oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, the main dude uh uh in there, which you've never seen. Um anyways, Benny the Jet Rod Rodriguez. Uh, played by Mike Vitar, 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 whatever. He was actually in, I believe, it was D two, The Mighty Ducks, and yeah, he was he was Lewis, yeah, the the Texas rodeo guy. That's right. No, I'm no. Looking at I'm looking at that too. Well, no, no, he wasn't the he wasn't the radio the rodeo guy. That was someone else. Because like I was, I was just laughing every time. That was a different dude, but. I think no, he Lewis Lewis is the rodeo guy, isn't he? Well, he is, but it's not played by Mike. 
Oh, okay. Says he played Lewis. Well, he played. He might have played Lewis, but Lewis wasn't the. Okay, <laughs> Luis. Right. It was Luis. Luis Mendoza, and Luis was not from Texas. He was from somewhere else. Okay. Uh, because they all they drew from like different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, like the dude that was from Texas was just like stereotypical, like Texan. Like it wasn't even funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. When you think about Texas, you think about cowboy hats and rodeos, right? Absolutely. Oh man, man, oh man! I don't think I don't think I've ever seen you wearing a cowboy hat, Chase. I've worn them before, but yeah, probably not around you. Probably not. Okay. There might have been. See, now I'm trying to go in the way back machine. Hold on. You know, this whole episode is about, you know going in the way back machine so i think we need to like set the mood for just a second um if i can get things to work hold on and maybe eric you'll hear it maybe you won't i don't know um let's let's play a little let's set the mood how shall we maybe this helps little huey lewis in the news some back in time Here we go, everyone. Enjoy some. So, uh, I'm trying to think like back to like our our adolescent years and any of like the campouts and other events we went on. I feel like there might have been like at least one Western night in there somewhere, but I might have just rocked like a big belt buckle and some boots, but not a hat unless someone gave it to me. I seem to remember that you guys were going to get me a pair of cowboy boots or cowboy hat or something. I, I feel like that was something that we had like the whole the whole cabinet was like tried to get me to do it because I was so serious. And you're like, do something crazy. <laughs> I don't think it ever happened, though. Probably not. You know, I gotta say, Huey Lewis here. I um, in one of my classes last week, I was teaching something called a flux integral. There we go. And I, and I made a joke like, "Our flux integral is fluxing." I hope our answer is not one point twenty one. And gigawatts. No one, no one laughed. No. Like, none of my students laughed. I thought it was funny, and I was like. Do you not understand this? They're like, no, I didn't understand that. And I was like, so I had to explain the joke to them, and all of them admitted to never having seen Back to the Future. Wow. And I was like, oh, we have failed if the next generation has not seen Back to the Future. Exactly. That's a fantastic movie. Like it's, it's quintessential '80s, but it's well tempered with the, the music that goes with it. So like, it really stands the test of time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can't ever watch just one of them. I have to, like, watch all three of them together. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite of the three? I I really like the third. I like the first one is probably the best, but I really like the third one because I just like westerns. Okay. And I feel like as a kid, for some reason, we owned the third one, and that was the only one we owned on VHS. 
and uh, I feel like I watch that more than the others. I gotcha. I remember um, the third one was like the most elusive for me to get a copy of for some reason. Um, and I, I feel like the one that I've seen the most for whatever reason is part two. Yeah, I feel like that's probably true for a lot of people. But, um, I mean, come on, hoverboard. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want a, a hoverboard? And I, I'm going to hot take time. The thing that is called hoverboard now is not a hoverboard. You know why? Because you don't hover. You roll. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You're picking up what I'm laying down. You're smelling what I'm stepping in. I got it. There we go. Don't step in manure. <laughs> Every timeline, manure's involved. I love it. <laughs> manure stands the test of time, everyone. Manure. <laughs> manure. Well, we are not going to be talking about Back to the Future tonight. I mean, we can. We can keep talking Back to the Future for all I care, but we are going to be going back in time in terms of what we do talk about here in just a little while. Uh, the title of this episode did not already give it away. We're going to be talking about um, the original Enterprise. I'm not talking Kirk. I'm talking Archer, baby. I'm talking like that 22nd century stuff. But uh, before we do that, um, you know, you were telling me about 1.21 or 121 gigawatts and for your, your math class and um, and stuff. So besides besides your kids not understanding a Back to the Future reference, what the heck's been going on with you, dude? You know, you know, finals, finals week, you know, semester's just ending. Um, working around the house. I'm trying to get it in good shape because I'm planning on selling it. You know, that's, that's fun. There's all the joys of owning a home, all the things that you never think you have to do before you sell your house. True right? story. There's a lot of stuff. True story. I got, um, so speaking of, of house stuff, and I think, I don't know if I was telling you this on the phone or not, uh, but we got so excited, dude, about buying a new sink. We got a new sink put in, and it is glorious. Like, this is how you know you're an adult, when, like, sink excites you, right? <laughs> I got put in, and I did I did not want to stop looking at it, you know? Like, you know how, like, when you're a kid, you get, like, that toy or that gizmo or whatever, that gadget, and, like, you just don't want to stop looking at it. You don't want to stop playing with it, you know, doing stuff with it. That's how I was. I was like, can I just, like, make, like, some dirty dishes just so I can use my sink? Because I really want to right now. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, you just, like leave the dirty dishes and you don't want to touch them but you actually wanted to work with the dirty dishes that's right and normally like i i hand wash some stuff but like most of the time i'm like stupid lazy and just um like let's just let's just put in the dishwasher let's let's just let the dishwasher do the work no 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 no. this is a nice nice american standard like nine inch deep double basin type of thing and it came with, like with this brand new faucet, so like I didn't have to use my old one, and it just really classed up the joint. And I'm like, "Yeah, baby, I've arrived." <laughs> that, is, that is like such an adult feeling, <laughs> right? When you just get excited for things like that. Oh, but it gets better. That same day, um, we installed a fan, a ceiling fan, 
in uh, my son's room. So uh, now all the rooms in the house have ceiling fans here in Texas, in my in my house. So it was a double win. We upgraded our house in one day. <laughs> nice. You know, hey, I put up matching ceiling fans in every room in my house like two years ago. Boom. Boom. Because when I bought this house, all of the lighting fixtures were mismatched. None mm-hmm. of them matched. Not a single of the lighting fixtures were the same. They were all different. And I was like, who does this? Right. So I bought a whole new matching set. Right. For everything. Man. Put them all in myself. Man. Oh, well, um, apart from from putting in a new sink and a new um, fan, Eric, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm feeling pretty excited, um, pretty proud of myself about something. Um, as you know, like the last year or so has been one big giant cluster for me and my family like with everything that's been going on. The listeners know that, too, to a certain extent. And... Uh, uh, being in a, a doc program, you if you want to advance, you have to pass comprehensive exams and stuff before you dissertate. Dissertating is now a word, by the way. Uh, I'm making it up on the spot. The, the act of dissertating. Yeah, the act of, the the act act of doing act. your dissertation. It's dissertating. Yeah. Dissertating. yeah. <laughs> um, so I took uh, my writtens, my first attempt of writtens in uh, the fall, uh, passed three out of four. Um, and then I was supposed to take one the week uh, that mom died. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and I finally retook my last written beginning of April. Uh, found out middle of the month that I passed my written. And um, this past Friday, I took my orals, my oral exams, and uh, passed those on the first shot. So uh, praise be to God, I am now officially a PhD candidate, and I can dissertate officially. So, yay! I'm so happy. Like, I'm so happy <laughs> about that. And um, just recently, I've had like my the school that I go to, and also um, a school in Dallas, both ask me to apply to be an adjunct faculty member at the different schools teaching counseling classes. I'm like, well, I have options apparently. So this is kind of cool. Like, I'm like becoming official, like slowly but surely. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm a nerd. Apparently, didn't I? Never <laughs> thought I would be this level of a nerd when we were in high school. Like I never. Oh, I knew I was. I already was. So you know. I mean, I never thought I would go like past undergrad. Just I never thought that, and now here I am. <sighs> feels good it does feel good it feels very good and just knowing that i just have a little bit more of a push left and i'm kind of done i guess kind of yeah so you can never be done with your education as no. far as i'm concerned ne- negative ghostwriter negative especially in your field there's always more stuff yes constant continuing education so many credits you have to get every two years at least with the state of texas um in fact there's one that I'm gonna one CE class I'll be attending on. Um, what is that? Well, today if you're listening. So, <laughs> um, anyway, before we get into the show and talk about the content, we have a little bit of business that we have to take care of with one of our listeners. 
Um, one of the things that we have with the show is um, when we when we, ha- we 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 love our listeners and uh, we're we're thankful that y'all listen that y'all participate. However the heck you do, one of the benefits that we offer um, those that are patrons is that we officially commission you as an officer um, as part of our show, basically. And uh, we we uh, recently had um, a new supporter sign up uh, with Patre- Patreon, and uh, this is us. Um, this is me going to uh, commission you uh, as an officer. As of today, I, Captain Chase McKinney, commission you, Ensign Katie Kleinhouse, as an officer with all the rights and privileges here, too. So welcome to uh, being an Ensign with our show. We are so thankful to have you um, as a member, um, as, a, as a loyal listener, and just thank you so much for your support. And uh, we will talk later about incorporating you into the show somewhere. Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, I mean, we wouldn't be here if people weren't listening, right? Exactly. Well, maybe I might talk. I might talk to Chase anyway about that stuff. But that's true. But it's it's nice to have that to know that there are people out there that are listening and that there are people that appreciate what we're doing. Absolutely. So thank you, Katie, uh, for supporting the show the way that you do, um, th- and just thank you so much for being um, a good friend. Um, uh, I've known Katie for several years now. I think we're going on five or six years I want to say we first met at a Dallas Comic Con and um, her son was um, a lot smaller than he is right now Um, he was a little mini 10th doctor and we got like some pictures together and it was a great time it's one of my more uh, fond memories with um, Katie and her family so again Katie thank you uh, for listening thank you for the the, the person you are the family that you have and again for you know supporting the show um, all right, Eric, now that we're getting into the show, yes. um, I'd approached you not too long ago about, um, you know, like some stuff and some direction that I wanted to kind of take with some content to c- be created. And, uh, for this round, we are going to kind of take somewhat of a dive. Um, you could say into, uh, the world of like ships, like, future the future and ships and things like that and we talk a lot about the characters right like we talk about like the captains the operations officers and just the whole ensemble you know like the number ones and and everyone that like is part of the makeup of the show and you know we highlight maybe some episodes or storylines here and there but I think there's like maybe one particular type of character that maybe we don't give as much attention to and that is the ship and I I personally I, um, and I'm gonna take a wild guess that you and I are probably in the same camp but I consider the ship to be just as much of a main character as the actual actors that we see on the screen yeah I, I think that the I mean the ship is is in every episode, right? I don't know. I mean, there are some characters that are not in every episode, mm-hmm. right? And the ship has its own personality and, and quirks to it, you know, that you have to <laughs> that you have to understand, right? That's I right. mean, Scotty, Scotty will tell you, right? <laughs> this ship, the ship has feelings. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're not going to talk about it tonight, but I just, I think, you know, you mentioned Scotty and and 
this ship has feelings and just the quirks. Um, I think about Scotty, you know, when we get to, uh, what is it, Final Frontier, and the the new 1701A is just one big, giant, like, hot mess of issues um, in that movie, and, and it's hilarious. It's, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we just, we just recently, um, for, for those of you that are into Star Wars, we just recently celebrated um, Star Wars Day, May the 4th. Um, and it reminds me of um, the Millennium Falcon in um, Empire Strikes Back. You know, like the 1701A is, is kind of falling apart as a hot mess, and Millennium Falcon's a hot mess in Empire. And um, it's it's a beautiful thing just um, seeing the the nonsense that goes on with that. So that was a little diatribe. I'm being a little circumstantial in my speech, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, the ships, like the ships are just are, are just as vital to the story as um, as as the characters, as as the individual episodic and in some cases serialized um, things that take place. I mean, for crying out loud, we have um, I mean, I would probably lump like space stations maybe into it as well, because we got like a show named after a space station, just like we have shows named after their ships. Um, Star Trek Enterprise or Enterprise, of course, has the Enterprise. Star Trek Voyager, of course, has the Voyager, right? And Deep Space Nine has, well, you guessed it, Deep Space Nine. How about that? How about that? How about that? So, um, first off, what, what's your favorite ship? Let, let's just let's just get this out of the way. I'm putting you on the spot. What's your favorite ship? Like. That, that you just you love to look at and it just gives you like all the warm warm and fuzzies I love looking at Voyager I gotta be I gotta be honest Voyager is so sleek when you when you compare Voyager to like the Enterprise D or the original Enterprise the NC 1701 like the 1701 has like toothpicks with nacelles on it it's not <laughs> I mean it's not the prettiest thing to look at let's be honest and the Enterprise D is just so bulky right it's like mm-hmm. you, you can't really maneuver it and then when it gets rid of its saucer section it looks weird to me okay. but like voyager is just sleek and the way those nacelles like douche dunk and like how'd go, go up again? and down how'd they go again they go like douche, douche. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a sound effect that they make when they they clink up and they clink down but it's just it's so smooth the voyager and it just it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I got. I got to admit, I love the look of Voyager. Okay. Okay. For me, um, it's, and I, I might. I don't know if, if it's obvious, but for me, it's. I go. I do go back and forth. Believe it or not, between the um, the twenty second century NX class and the Sovereign class. Um, those are my two favorites, and then there's like one other that. Unless you play Star Trek Online, you probably don't really know about it, but it's actually the class of ship that we use for our in-show ship, and that's the Polaris class, uh, which is pretty nice looking as far as I'm concerned. So um, you can look up the Polaris class if you want, like on, I think it's like Memory Beta, Memory Charlie. Just Google it. It'll show up on like Pinterest or Google or whatever, and you can see it. But um, I, I love how they look. 
uh, for, for different reasons. I mean, the the sovereign class, just because it was, it's, it's a change, right? Like, I think the, the D is very much um, a product of the 80s. Nothing wrong with the 80s. We were just, you know, giving some love to Back to the Future at the beginning of this, we're crying out loud. Um, and I just like how sleek and, and, and just sexy it looks, like the, the, the sovereign class that is. I just think it's a really nice looking ship. And the the sovereign class, it's just, or, sorry, not the sovereign, the NX class from the 22nd century, it's just so simple and it's got like that submarine vibe to it where it's not all that shiny and advanced looking like we're used to with Kirk onward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I think it's cool. Um, it's it's limited in technology and you you really had to just kind of go with the flow when it came to the NX class. Um, no, no, I think, I think the Sovereign class was designed to be like, as you said, sexy for the movies because once they decided they were going to make next generation movies, I feel like they, they couldn't use the Enterprise D anymore. It just doesn't doesn't play on the big screen i don't think right so they made the decision to to crash it and blow it up Mm -hmm. and so we can get a sexy new ship Mm -hmm. i think there was talk at one point um it's been it has been a while since i i watched um any of the like the star trek generations like commentary stuff but there's there was a discussion um both general about crashing the ship and then again like I think there was stuff in um, the first contact com- commentary as well about um, the use of the the 1701d um, in those movies because like if you remember I mean we were using the same ship right through pretty much like for the first what was that four movies like three or four movies of Kirk's of Kirk's run well and- I mean it was it was it was it was a totally different looking enterprise when you got to the motion picture right they said it was a complete complete redesign so like the bridge didn't look anything like it did in the show the engineering didn't look anything like it did in the show it was just completely redesigned no no more orange and jewel looking buttons like we were used to but man uh, i love the orange jewel buttons (laughs) well strange new worlds i've is gonna be coming out semi near future and uh, it's my understanding that the the producers and the creators are really taking another look at redesigning and they're going to try and be more faithful to the original look while also still you know knowing that we're 50 years on 55 years on so we'll see we'll see we'll see yeah eventually we'll see <laughs> All right. Well, um, so let's talk. Let's talk about this. So, um, Star Trek um, Enterprise, or just Enterprise, depending on when you watched it, um, we we had originally thought that we were we were done. That we had had all the Enterprises. Um, in fact, if you watch like some episodes of um, of Next Gen, it tells you that. Um, there are only so many iterations of the Enterprise in terms of like vessels, and um, without you know taking into account the NX01 because obviously it was filmed way after it originally premiered, like 15 years after originally uh, after Next Gen originally premiered. But um, NX class, right? Like 
What are some initial thoughts about the NX class, Archer's Enterprise? Well, NX is like the experimental class, right? That's the, the designation as opposed to NCC. Mm-hmm. But I, I think when people talk about those, the, where they say the Enterprise D is the sixth Federation ship to carry the name Enterprise, well, it's because the NX-01 is not a Federation ship. It's a Starfleet vessel, but not a Federation vessel. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you can get into a technicality. But I... I really, I really like the design of the ship. I know I didn't list it as my favorite, but it, it does look really neat. And I mean, it was, it was all, it wasn't a model, right? I, Voyager wasn't a model either, but you know, it wasn't a model. It was, it was CGI, and by the time it, it, they'd come far enough where it looks really nice. It definitely has, like, it's not boxy. It's nice and rounded, so it does look sleek as well. And, and I like the deflector dish, right? We're not, it's not like sticking out like a satellite dish. It's like really cool and flat at the beginning. And when you see it for the first time, pull out of pull out of space dock or whatever in the, in the first episode, it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I got to admit, I really liked it. Yeah. I, I, um, whenever like I look at the different like deflector dishes, right? Um, I mean, we have the... Um, I mean, depend like let's just call it like just the 1701 and the A, right? Like we have like just the little satellite like round disc looking thing, and then we have like this weird like kind of psychedelic thing with the D, and um, we get like some looks right with the B and the C, but not as much. I mean, because they're essentially one episode type things, um, and then of course with the E, you know, like they're it just becomes more more uh, recessed, but like with with the NX01 w- with Archer's Enterprise, it's just like there's like this um, I don't know kind of oblong kind of um, string um, plate kind of thing. It's it, it and you know that it's it's not anywhere near as advanced. Obviously, it's not going to do anywhere near as much of deflecting of debris and and other stuff like the ones that we know will do but it it's just so simple and it, it just it goes so well with the era in which we're exploring and I, I love it i think it's so cool yeah and i think i think that's like the design of the nx01 it's it's simple and it's practical and it's it feels like a submarine right mm-hmm. it's just it's very small it's very rounded like I don't know if you've ever, um, if you've ever been there, but in Muskegon, Michigan, there's a, a, uh, it's called the USS Silversides Museum. It's an old World War II class submarine that's been turned in, decommissioned and turned into a museum in Muskegon. And, and we, as our troop, we went, we went there several times and we, we slept overnight on the submarine and it has a really claustrophobic feeling because it's nice and small and simple. And that just, I, the Enterprise, the NX-01 feels like how I would imagine, right? Being on the Enterprise feels like how I felt in that submarine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've... I'm trying to think. Have I been to Muskegon? I know I've never been to that ship. I know that much. Um, I think the only, like... I think the closest thing that I've ever done military-wise was going to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, and that's about it. Um, 
but I mean, whether you're, I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned the submarine thing because I think that's that was the original intent with with uh, with it because you know like first contact 2063 and with this with when the the enterprise the first enterprise the first you know united earth starship um set sail you know we're now in the year 2151 so we're you know we're we're looking at um not quite a hundred years right i mean we're looking at uh what would that be 88 doing some quick math roughly 87 88 years after first contact that we we now have our first warp capable ship to where you know traversing the stars traversing the cosmos isn't going to be one big giant task and that is i mean even though this is fiction like that is still monumental that we can accomplish that in 88 years as a society when you really get down mm-hmm. get down to the nuts and bolts of it yeah so I don't know. Um, okay, so just just a couple things um, to highlight about this. So, um, Eric, do you know your metric system well? Can you do like quick conversions on the spot or no? Um, I know that by international law, one inch is equal to two point five four centimeters. Okay, that's an international law. <laughs> Do you get arrested <laughs> if it's if one? Well, end? I mean, it's it's just like they has to be like that is what has been said. Okay, all right. So uh, the length. I of- know that I know that I know that one meter is thirty nine inches. So you can approximately say a meter and a yard are the same thing. Okay. Or one meter is sorry, thirty nine and a half inches, where a yard is thirty six inches. So they're they're pretty close. Okay. So for anyone listening in the UK or anywhere that's not America that uses the metric system, they're yelling at us right now. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, all right. So this particular ship, uh, the NX-01, um, it is 225 meters in length, which I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's pretty long. Um, it's 33.3 meters in height. Um, it weighs 80,000 metric tons, has seven decks, and has a crew complement of 83. Yeah. That sounds... I mean, 83 people, that's, that sounds submarine-ish, right? Mm-hmm. I think I would think that that's about how many people we fit on like one of our nuclear submarines right now. Right. I don't, maybe, maybe there's more, maybe there's not. I don't know. That just feels like a, a, the right number. I just want to just, you know, since you brought up um, the, you know, Voyager, let's just kind of try and compare it for just a quick second. Um, Well, Voyager's crew complement was only like 140 or something like that. Okay. Something like that. that. That sounds right. I really shouldn't try doing this on the fly, but anyways... Um, okay, so the um, okay the length of it of the um, of Voyager where'd you go three hundred and forty three meters in length, one 
116 meters wide and it had an original complement of 141. So almost, almost double. There it is. Intrepid, yeah. So, I mean, the Voyager, like, really, like, dwarfs this thing. It really dwarfs the, um, yeah, dwarfs the, the NX class. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta think it's it's you know two hundred years later. Mm-hmm. So, um, where was I with that? Um, okay, so this is the first United Earth starship that that's well, being it's the first warp five warp starship. Five. There warp. have been there have been other starships. Right, the first war- it was part of the the warp five. It was like really the brain trust of um, of uh, Cochran and uh, what was it, Henry Archer, uh, Jonathan Henry Archer's Archer. father. Uh, you know, with the warp five complex and developing it, and because um, so Jonathan Archer, played by Scott Bakula, is the the captain of of the um, Enterprise show that went that aired from um, 2001 to 2005 and I believe we've talked about Star Trek Enterprise um, in the pa- in a past episode so check that out if you'd like uh, we kind of go through like a cursory discussion of, of the show kind of like survey information um, fun stuff and we talk we, we talk about like some Enterprise stuff here and there on the show too and we have the the best name the best episode of that show um, as the name of this podcast yes the greatest episode the of Star Trek Enterprise ever, greatest ever. ever of all Star Trek, by the way. Oh yeah, of all okay, of all of yeah. all Star Trek, yeah. That's, lo- that's lofty. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? So, um, save me, Eric. Where was I going with that? You were talking about Scott Bakula. Yes, he's the dude. And um, he—he's—he is the dude. He's—he's he's great. I love Scott Bakula. Fantastic. He, he, he does not get enough love for his his performance as Captain Archer. No, he's one of my favorite captains, honestly. Um, mm. And and I'm probably not in the the popular camp on that, but I just I love Star Trek Enterprise. And um, anyway, that's a discussion for a different day. Um, because his father was responsible for really developing, you know warp five capabilities he was given this shot to have this first warp five ship to go out and do the thing and part of it was shoot we we done hurt someone so we gotta go kind of try and stretch our legs a little bit and start some diplomatic stuff you know with these klingots i think as he originally called it it's a klingot (laughs) what's a klingot (laughs) so and and we later on um, in the show, we have another NX class that shows up, and that's the Columbia, the, the NX-02, uh, the Columbia. So, Captain Erica Hernandez. Thank you very much. And Trip is a little bit of a traitor, played by Connor, Connor Trenier, you know, going back well, and I forth. mean, you know, you know, it's hard to work with someone that you've been in a romantic relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... We've kind of talked briefly about some specs, um, apart from uh, when this thing, when when it first, um, 
you know, went out on its its maiden voyage, right? It it, it left with um, uh, some plasma cannons, three three phase cannons, and torpedo launchers. And following the refit, there were uh, more than three phase cannons that were pulsed, and some photonic torpedo launchers. And um, well, 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 actually, when it when it left, it it didn't actually have the phase cannons installed, right? And there was like a a big plot point early on where where <clears throat> Archer felt like they weren't they weren't equipped to be out in space. They had they encountered too much danger, and so they were going to head back to Jupiter Station to have have these phase cannons built. But then Malcolm and his team like worked overtime to let, to actually build them like after they were launched. Mm-hmm. And that was a very one of the more annoying um, episodes that I remember of like all the if I'm remembering it right. Anyways, we'll just nix that. Yeah, and, and they didn't actually have photon torpedoes. They just had like regular torpedoes. Well. I'm just reading photonic in terms of like oh, the specs well. that I'm I'm looking at right now. Maybe they I think they might have gotten some installed when they um, for the Zindi mission. Exactly. But I know when they originally left, it was just like regular torpedoes. Right, and yeah, that was the photonic torpedo launchers were um, <sighs> definitely after the refit as we were, you know, going into the Zindi story arc and destroying Florida. I wonder if Disneyland was or sorry Disney World was still around in 2151 and if well I mean no because they went straight at the panhandle they didn't really hit right through Orlando anyways I'm going off on a tangent let's leave that one alone uh, apart from the submarine kind of vibe you know and there being such a small crew compliment um, what are some other thoughts what are some other things that that you just think of that you know that you associate with the NX-01 Enterprise? Well, for me, the thing that I really appreciate about it <coughs> excuse me, is that it looks like it takes place in the past. Even though it was made, you know, 35 years after the original, it actually, they took the time to make it look like it was 100 years before um, the original series. Whereas, like, I'm not going to Discovery Bash but Discovery looks like it takes place very far into the future with all of the technology that Voyager has. Or not Voyager, Discovery has. Voyager is into the future too, so it has nice technology. Mm-hmm. But Discovery, it, just, it doesn't look like it takes place before the original series. But the NX-01 just has a feel of being in the past. Like, they ha- it, not, not just small, but like, there's push buttons on everything, right? There's not just tapping consoles. The doors, they have to, like, push buttons to open up the doors, right? And I just, like, so they got, like, Spock's little, like, science looker into thingy. Right? I don't know what you call that, right? <laughs> but, like, there's one of those, right? The, the science, science looker viewer. into thingy. I don't know. <laughs> and, like... Travis has like actually like a joystick where he can pilot the ship with, right? Right. And and it just it it has a good in the past feeling, and I really appreciate that the show took its time and really made an effort to let you know, yes, there is some things that have been updated to modernize. We don't have the gem push buttons, right? Right. But it still does look like it's in the past. Right. 
the um the the thing that I I like is um the even the uniforming I like that too because it it still has like that um that call back to you know our time period for like submariner kind of look to it right like in terms of uniforming like yeah you might wear like your whites or you might wear your your khakis like in the navy for example um, or your or whatever you know your battle dress type uniform is going to be but like just those those blue purpley jumpsuits that we see through the run of the show that it's it's still very um i'm gonna try and be kind of careful with this but like it's still very like earth military right um Mm -hmm. without it being as streamlined as what we've grown accustomed to in the other shows um it's so simple but it's also and, and it's so it's still distant from Kirk it's distant from us but it feels right to me mm-hmm. like with the, the overall look so like just the look that they do um, you know as part of of the NX-01 um, in that year I just think it looks great um, the the technology that you point out you know like um, I, rem- I think it's like the first episode that what is it Travis is talking Travis Mayweather the, the helmsman is talking to uh, Malcolm Reed, the uh, the tactical officer, about uh, biomatter transport, and that it's it's rated for biomatter the, the transporter. You know, it's it's approved for biomatter, and um, kind of joking about you know more than just apples. You know that it could you know transport a a, a tactical officer, it could transport a security officer, and, um, just like the trepidation because we we just we associate Star Trek with beaming technology. And um, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, and, but just and, and we and we think about transporter rooms too, and like Chief O'Brien was the transporter chief. Like they had a person whose job was just to be in charge of transporters. Mm-hmm. And this is just like in a hallway. It's a random it's hallway. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> you can just walk by it in the hallway. Oh look, there's a transporter. <laughs> But yeah, like the this ship is is just so stinking cool to me. Um, you know, with its corridors, with um, engineering, like you know, I think the thing that we get spoiled on is you know we have like these sleek looking, um, just depending on like which you know which show you're looking at, of course, whether you're looking at original series, animated, the movies. The eighties, the eighties and nineties shows just how sleek looking engineering is, and with with the NXO one, like it's very claustrophobic. I think that's the thing. Like this whole thing is so claustrophobic, and we have like basically one big giant. Like it would fill a house. Like how big the the warp reactor is, right? Mm-hmm. For you know, you know. Engineering is is awesome. It's got like a hatch door that you have to open, right, to get into it. And mm-hmm. then yeah, it, it looks like a place where you have people like maintaining a machine. It really looks like people are getting their hands dirty and working. Where if you go and look at as much as I love Voyager, engineering is massive in Voyager. It's it's got an upper an upper work area, a lower work area. It's got it's like a 
wide open hallway that you can just like walk into. It is like massive. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna go a little off the reservation, but there's there's a point that I'm or a, a, a comparison I'm trying to draw. There's uh, it's not one of the more um, liked movies, but uh, I believe it's Superman three, like with uh, Christopher Reeve and uh, Richard Pryor. You know what I'm talking about, Eric? I, I have not seen any of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Oh my gosh! Okay, I, I, I like I really like Christopher Reeve as, as Superman. That's just me. But, um, um, anyways, in in the movie, uh, there's um, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but in in part of the movie, there's this, um, um, like this. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's like this mountainside kind of cavern thing where there's like this giant giant computer thing um, I mean and we got to think like what computers were you know 40 50 years ago right like in the 70s and early 80s they were massive like they took up like stories of buildings in in some ways and that's and that's kind of even though like the one in in um, Superman 3 it was vertical um, and in the and on, on, and the the warp reactor on um, the NX01 was of course horizontal, but it's they both took up a very large amount of space, which I think would probably be comparable. Like if we were to take the computer in Superman three and just kind of turn like rotate it essentially, make it horizontal. I think it would be pretty darn comparable. And I know that you're kind of at a disadvantage because you've never seen it. But for some of the listeners out there that maybe have seen Superman three, maybe you agree. Uh, maybe you could kind of see that comparison. So um, apart from from comparing it to like one movie, like um, I don't know, like what do you think? What do you what do you think like a comparable size would be? for that warp reactor and for, you know, that engineering deck. Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I mean, Trip has to get up on that scaffolding to get up to the workstation, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's he's probably at least 6 feet off the ground, like the feet, right, when he's standing up there. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a gap between where people can probably crawl underneath the warp core. But it looks like, just from what we see in engineering, it's got to be 50 feet long, right? I would say at so. At least. I would say at so. At least just the part that we see in engineering. And then it's got, you know, the two shafts coming off the side of it that are going up to the nacelles, right? Those things look pretty big. Exactly. It's it's a It's a big machine, and they're, like, right next to it. I mean, can, can we just talk about, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just nitpicking, but I just, I like this, that um, we, we have a warp reactor instead of a warp core. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we just talk about, like, maybe the implications of that? Like, I mean, it's not necessarily outright nuclear, but it kind of gives it, like, that nuclear danger kind of vibe to me compared to the nicety of a core. I mean, what do you think about that? No, I, it definitely feels like Trip is going to have trouble having kids at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know? It just, it looks so safe in, in the future, in the TNG DS9 Voyager era. Like, nobody ever, like, is feels in danger. But I just, there's, there is a sense of danger in that tiny little, you know, engine, main engineering room with that big, big-ass reactor in the middle of the room that people have to, like, walk around instead of just a little right. core. Right, and for, for anyone that hasn't seen, like, the other shows, or maybe you have and you've just never seen Enterprise, whatever your orientation is to that, um, the thing, the, the one thing that the ships in the other shows have going for them is that if stuff hits the fan or they got to do like some emergency something or another with a black hole or whatever it might be, eject the core, right? This, this, they can't, they can't do that. Nope. Like, although, you know, in Discovery, when they ejected the core, ting, ting, like, ting, it ting, went ting, 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 and it spark, it made sparks on its way down, which doesn't seem very safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, there's no ejecting the warp core. It's more like get to the escape pods and hope you can get away in time. Exactly. And you probably can't. Exactly. I, I remember um, when um, I went to Star Trek The Experience, uh, not not talking about you know warp reactors or cores or anything like that, but uh, when I went to Star Trek The Experience in the early 2000s before it closed, uh, they had some some set pieces from uh, from the show, uh, they had some costuming from the show, and you had mentioned um, like I think some of the terminals, right? Like the push buttons and like the terminals that you had to interact with. And um, in, in one of the rooms, they had uh, like on like I mean they were like sh- like series appropriate for like how they dressed some of the the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, but there would be like a TOS one, like kind of over here. There would be a um, an Enterprise one, and then like TNG and Voyager, they had their own like sections of the experience. But I remember um, both on the show and at Star Trek: The Experience that they had uh, uh, those like quintessential flat screen monitors that we all saw um, like everywhere, um, like growing up, and it was just it was just something that was part of the time that we grew up in that society was a part of and it was just like those black flat screen monitors you just thought you were like the coolest thing ever if you had one or more than Mm -hmm. one and I just I look back on it and I just like kind of chuckle a little bit just knowing that like they like totally super glued like these raised like probably 3D printed looking buttons to correspond to a program that they have going through that monitor that computer monitor yeah, uh-huh. I, I think that's cool. It looks like it, like definitely those monitors. Yeah, I definitely recognize those, and you know, it kind of puts it in a. I mean, I don't want to say it dates the show, but it, it does in a sense date the show and says it is a product of the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So I um, there were a total of eighty one active plasma and LCD screens in the NX class sets. So. 81 of those computer monitors, of those TV <laughs> screens or whatever they were uh, that we see. I think the, the, the there were, oh, what was it? 
there are like two or three that I just remember liking the most, and I realized that they were all probably the same piece of hardware um, on the interior of the ship. But in the, um, I don't know what else to call it, Eric, so maybe you do. But it was essentially like the situation area, like at the back of the bridge. There was like this um, kind of table thing. And there was like kind of, it seemed like it was kind of like a rounded kind of screen. Mm-hmm. Like almost tubular looking. Um, and I just remember liking that like that set a lot just like that situation area where they weren't they weren't sitting cuz mm-hmm. there wasn't enough space so it was like just stand and let's meet and talk about this instead of sit and talk about it like I know you like to do yeah yeah I no I wanted to talk about this I wanted to talk about this area too I was, okay. I was waiting, waiting to get to that because as much as I love the briefing room or the observation lounge right but like especially on like the the 1701D that just looks like uh, you go into a hotel and here's your conference room. Let's <laughs> let's walk in there and let somebody give a presentation right. up on the monitor, right? right? And then Voyagers is kind of functional, right? It's like it's not long. It's like more of like rounded, and and you know apparently that set was really tiny. Like I've I've been listening to the the podcast that Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong do. Apparently that briefing room in Voyager, while it looks big. It was actually a really small room, mm-hmm. but um, no, I do love that there is no actual like briefing room. It's just like a little area on the back of the bridge that they have to go and stand around this little table in the middle, and it's just like, hey, look, we're just gonna go back here, right? Senior staff, meet me back here. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it feels like you know how. Um, I'm gonna like on a submarine bridge, right? You would just there's no extra area. You just let's all go congregate back here and let's look at the monitors. Right, right. Yeah, and um, I don't know if I should say this now or maybe I should save it for like a future, you know, like ships of the line esque episode. But uh, again, at um, Star Trek: The Experience, uh, one of the the rides that you do, it's a it's a TNG era era kind of ride and you go in this like transporter and they they dressed it just like the set and you you walk down this corridor but the corridors are very narrow and in the show it looks like people are actually walking right next to each other like perfect like perfectly spaced but you know and I, I'm saying this because you mentioned the briefing room and like listening to the other other show but um, it's it's because of the use of like widescreen and just like how they shot it that it makes it look like you're actually standing next to each other when it's instead of like this it's more like this but it still looks like you're you're next to each other and y'all can't see me I'm holding my hands up like it's right next to each other and then the one's kind of in front of each other that's kind of yeah, like it, the it, movie it's, magic it's, they do it's it's how they make Elijah Wood look this big next to Ian McKellen when he's this big and they're just. <laughs> They're they're both humans, right? Right. It's forced perspective, right? Like that's yeah. the, that's the the official uh, terminology we're going to use for today. So, right. <sighs> but yeah, like so so like that little briefing meeting. I don't even think it has a name. Maybe, maybe they call it like the situation room, but like honestly, I don't even know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but like. That just the meeting area, the situation area, the back of the bridge, whatever we're gonna call it. 
Um, let's go hang out back let's here. Let's go back there, y'all. Um, like that's one of my one of my uh, the sets that I really enjoy. The other like one of the other sets that I really really think is cool that I, I love the design for. Uh, it's so basic, it's so cold, but it's warm, and that is sick bay. I love what they did with sick bay. Uh, it's it's got that wild look to it, right? Because like we got a denobulin, and you know we're supposed to be learning from other species, other societies. And Archer is um, initially very apprehensive about like these forms of a medicine, this like um, maybe holistic approach that Flocks takes, like with like different critters, you know, like random leech to help whatever yeah. get better type of thing. Mm -hmm. I love that that episode like one night in sick bay or whatever where it's just like um um oh my god oh my god what's the dog's name Porthos Por Porthos oh my god. <laughs> I was drawing a blank where <laughs> Porthos is sick so Archer spends the night in sick bay and like all of like the crazy animals are going wild and Fox is like up all night and Archer is just like being driven crazy by it mm -hmm. but yeah like it's kind of, it's like just one room there's no office i don't think anywhere it's mm -hmm. just here's here's the room there's no separate areas and it looks like like i'm gonna say if you're on the enterprise d and you have a thousand people think of the big medical area you would need for a thousand people that tiny little sick bay that we saw there had to be a lot more to that to service all of the people on that ship but this is like a tiny little you know medical area and and they had the one cool imaging chamber which they slid everybody into and out of and it was like white and it contrasted with the rest of the like mm -hmm. the the blue the bluish grayish look of the rest of the ship and it was really neat yeah the uh what the one thing i do want to point out um and i, I think it was I think it was intentional, but I also think it was subtle with the design of the ship and, and of course, with sickbay like we're talking about. But uh, for anyone that's seen um, original series Star Trek, um, or just Star Trek, depending on what you want to call it, uh, you look at some of the, the, the terminals, right? Like the, the, the big screens, like the, the biomonitors, essentially, in McCoy's sickbay. And just like the the arrows that you see kind of going up and down, and just like how um, how that like looks, and like just the vibe of that. And then you look at what we see in Flox's sick bay in in on the NX01, and I, I like how it honors that. But it, again, it kind of makes it a little bit more primitive without um, taking too much away from it. So mm -hmm. I, I like that and. And you really see like more of like McCoy's sick bay kind of stuff showing up in future shows like um, oh what's the episode like Naked Now and Naked Time uh, those episodes like you really see a lot of the same aesthetics on the monitors uh, between if you really like put the two episodes side by side with um, TOS and TNG but we're not talking about TNG we're talking about Enterprise today, so I, I really like that. I really like how they honored that. At least that's that's how I saw. It. That's how I experienced it. Um, so, um, I mean, we're talking about freaking plasma screens right now, and just how they're used on a ship 
for crying out loud. But it, it just works. It just works. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I, I want I want to go back to the to the bridge here. I don't, I don't know if you were playing finishing with the bridge, but I really do love the Enterprise, the the NX One's bridge, the whole look of it. Um, as much as I love Voyager, like the look of the outside, I really dislike the Voyager bridge. First of all, the Voyager bridge is massive. Like it's way too big like it's too big to get everybody in the same shot you 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 cannot see Tuvok Harry Kim Janeway Chakotay and Tom Paris in the same shot it's just it's too big and I also don't like the fact that Voyager is the only it's our female captain we we made history with the female captain but it's the only show where the captain's chair is not more prominent than every other seat on the bridge it's like they're equals if they're in the middle and it's like none like the captain is not like more prominent and i just i don't know that always bugged me on voyager how like this is our female captain but she's like being co-equal somehow and so i really just love the the nx01 bridge it's it's tiny it's literally tiny archer can like grab both of the like Malcolm and um to Paul's things he can like reach across it in like one go mm-hmm. and you can see it it's like it's got that rounded shape that all of the other bridges have as far as like the rectangular shape that Voyager has and it just looks functional mm-hmm. and, and I really just love it and he never sits in his chair like he never sits in it like there's that one episode where he's like you notice I don't sit in it all that often it's not very comfortable <laughs> Is that the uh, is that the episode where they get like super obsessive like hyper focused yeah, about little, thi- about about little, little things, things yeah yeah, yeah and and that's that's the one where Malcolm Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm he's like freaking out over like tactical alert <laughs> I'm just laughing thinking about it and he's like he's trying out all the red alert sounds that's right oh <laughs> <sighs> Malcolm's not my favorite from the show by any means no. So since we're talking about the bridge, um, I do I, I I I love the I love how the bridge looks. Every bridge has to stand out. They have to have their own unique look, their own. Uh, but but still, they gotta have like that that feel, that connectedness, right? That we know is Star Trek. Um, so you mentioned, you know, that you that you know he that Archer could just kind of like reach and boom, they can you know he can grab you know, Malcolm or whoever. Did you have like a favorite, um, ap- apart from like the situation standing area that we just talked about at the back, did you have like a favorite, uh, station, like a station design or something on the bridge? Well, well one thing I like is, um, like their chairs move, right? Like they can, they, they have like sliders they can move and then mm-hmm. like, so Paul's got her workstation that faces faces the bridge, the captain's chair, and then her, her chair's on a swivel, and she can turn around, and she's got all of her stuff behind her, and then she can turn this way, and Hoshi is right there. And and I just, I like that. It feels like, you know, you would, someplace you would want your science officer to be, because there's a lot of stuff they can do, and there's, they've got this panel, this huge panel in front of me, this huge huge panel behind me with the science looker thingy majerg on the back 
And so I always I was was partial to to Paul's station because she really felt like she was in the hub of it with her front station, her behind station, and Hoshi right there. Mm, okay. For me, I mean, um, uh, like Travis just kind of like seemed like he was just. Um, he was there like I mean it, the whole thing was just so claustrophobic by by design but um, I, I really liked Hoshi's station the most um, I liked how it was positioned I like how it was like built situated um, just I, I don't know I just like that was like one of my favorite shots like whenever I was on the bridge like um, like dislike of Malcolm aside like but I, I just didn't like how his station looked in terms of like in terms of like maybe the just the crampedness and just like the placement of it on the bridge like I don't know if it was just too short too deep what it was um, but I just I, I I personally think that Hoshi's was just spaced well that it was um, that the architecture the 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 planning for her station was just very well done um, and I'm, I'm a Linda Park fan so there we go. And I like that it's it's at the front of the bridge mm-hmm. as opposed to like Uhura, who is like Kirk has to like turn behind him and say communications. It mm-hmm. just that doesn't seem practical to have to turn around to talk to your communications person. Like they should be like if you're looking forward at the view screen, you should be able to look at your and be like communications. Tell me what's going on or open up open up frequencies. And so the fact that it was at the front, I think, is also more practical. Right. Did I'm just trying to think like with with Voyager being like you know your your entry to Star Trek um or you know like your the show that you really watched faithfully growing up was was Kim considered like um kind of a communications officer i mean i know he was operations but did he kind of double as a communications yeah. so guy this is the thing you, you see this on on tng as well some sometimes it's wharf that opens up hailing frequencies mm-hmm. sometimes it's data right and you see on voyager sometimes it's harry kim that opens up hailing frequencies sometimes it's tuvok it like it, there's no no consistency between that wonder why that is like like it, it, it seems like that's a very clear-cut thing from like pre like for, for like you know like pre and post uh 24th century right like we see it with archer ship we see it with kirk um and even with um like harriman uh harrison harrison harriman harriman um that there are defined communications officers. And then we see it on the Discovery as well with Bryce. I think it's Bryce. Bryce. Bryce, yeah. yeah. But like, but here's the thing. As much as an important character as Uhura is, did she really do anything? Let, let's be honest. And I, I want to like say this as like, as, I don't know what the word, I don't want to, don't want anybody to come at me for like talking down about Uhura, but she really didn't do anything. There weren't much. There wasn't much story about her, and like there really wasn't that much story about Hoshi either. 
I mean, there was a little bit more for Hoshi to do because they didn't have a universal translator, so she had more story. And now we see, like, Bryce. He's just random guy on the bridge over here. He doesn't have much to do. So I feel like they just dropped the communications officer after the original series because there probably wouldn't have been a lot for them to do, like, with a universal translator. Yeah. Well, and and I think the the thing that's kind of it may, maybe it goes without saying I don't know, but um, I mean we got I mean you, you bring up Ahura from you know original series that you know you say like she didn't really do much, and and if we think about the purpose that her character had based on the time period that it was in, you know it was I mean of course it's like a critique on that time period, right? Like with civil rights movement and just cold war era with all the characters that we have on the bridge like and that's why i said i wanted to be as as delicate as possible about that and and that's and that's i mean that's the importance um but in of the of the purpose of her being on the bridge but in terms of storylines you're right like there wasn't much um in terms of like her development sure there were like some episodes here and there where she might, you know, be involved in some kind of some shenanigans with an alien species. But apart from that, no, like you're right. The, um, so with, here's the thing that, um, I want to point out. So Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, um, some of the main producers, yep. Of, of Star Trek. Um, in the 80s and the 90s, they really liked the look of um, the Defiant. So that little ship, you know. Um, They liked the long and narrow shape of um, the Defiant Bridge. Um, And and that's what what really um, inspired, what really shaped the look of the bridge of of the NX-01. So, um, uh, what was it? Um, who was it? The, um, they didn't want the bridge to be as quote unquote elliptical as the Enterprise D bridge or as wide as the Voyager bridge. Um, and they, they talk about, um, the Defiant, um, and, and kind of like its design, um, on the, the, uh, season three DVD is what um, what I'm seeing here, and just some of these notes about about it. so certain parts of the bridge, um, the NX class bridge, were in common with the original series Enterprise in the sense that the room's layout uh, was meant to feature a sunken central captain's chair and a scope at the science station. There's that little scientific looky anything that you're talking about um, that was added at Brennan Braga's request. And another detail of the bridge was that it was an homage to that of the traditional Constitution class um, was um, an astrogator at the helm. I don't know what an astrogator is, though. I think that's the navigator. Is that what it is? Right. So, like, there's Sulu and the guy next to him before Chekhov. Chekhov became the navigator, but, you know, there's the two, the helmsman and the navigator. An astrogator was a device used for astrogation. Well, thanks, guys. Um, Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> navigation nav- navigation through space. <laughs> Typically, they were located between the helm 
and navigation stations at the forward section of the bridge. So there you go. Yeah, you know, between the two stations at the front, there was that little circular panel. <laughs> no, but I, I can kind of see the look of the Enterprise NX-01 bridge from the Defiant bridge because, like, you know, you've got the Helmsman station up front and then, like, the all the stuff on the side. And then I feel like there was, like, a little situation-y room mm -hmm. behind the captain's chair as well. Mm-hmm. And I know... The captain's chair on the Defiant spun all the way around. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think Kirk's spun all the way. I think he could turn it side to side, but I don't think he could spin it all the way around. And Archer's, I don't even think turned. I think it was just locked in place. Right, right. But there was there was a little situationy room on the back of the Defiant bridge. There was. I think about it. There was, and there's um, uh, what is it like? Um, I was getting mixed up, but it's like a cross section kind of diorama kind of thing that you can um, find like on like different parts of the internet for like you know these different ships and um, I've, I've seen it so and like now that I'm like you know we're talking about it and I'm reading through some of these notes and, and we're talking about it here on the show um, I, I do see it more now I do recall it more now just how similar the Defiant and um mm -hmm and the NX-01 bridges are, which is, which is kind of cool. I mean, like they're, they're even, both, even, they're both NX, NX classes, honestly. Mm -hmm. Even like the two, like there's like the two doors, like right back here, basically in the exact same positions, right? The door to like the turbo lift onto the bridge and then the ready room. I think like those are in the exact same position as the two entries and exit ways from the, from the defiant bridge. Exact, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, they did they use the same set? You that's just, what I'm wondering. They, I, I mean, or like a repurposed set, like they just redesigned it a little bit. Wouldn't that be something, huh? It wouldn't surprise me. Well, I mean, let, let's think about that for a second, though. I mean, it would have been two years later, exactly. Let, let, you know, so I mean, maybe I, I probably didn't, probably didn't then. I mean, Deep Space Nine ended in '99. And this show had to have gone into production, I would say, sometime in, you know, late 2000 at the, at yeah. the, late, at the latest. Mm -hmm. I, I bet there was at least a year, a year and a half between when they finished filming Deep Space Nine and when they started filming Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. So they probably didn't use the same set. They probably took it, tore it down, destroyed it. I mean, the only thing I could kind of maybe rationalize them using would be maybe and this is like a very strong maybe uh the uh the delta flyer like some compo maybe some components of the delta flyer from voyager because like i mean voyager ended in 01 so maybe they just mm -hmm. i mean why why build something completely from scratch if you can borrow stuff and yeah. you know maybe mm -hmm. maybe they did have some of the the defiant um stuff hanging around somewhere but um, anyway, um, so we've, we've talked about, like, the exterior of the ship, you know, with polarized hull. We talked about deflector dish. Uh, we talked about some engineering, some bridge, some sick bay, um, and, you know, some random 
tight corridors with a random transporter pad over here in an alcove. Um, I think the only thing that we really haven't talked about, and I don't think we necessarily need to, you know, go nuts with it, and that's just, you know, the the dining area and, like, Captain's Mess. Um, you know, we, we saw in Voyager by necessity, essentially, that Captain's Mess was turned into, like, a dining hall area for the crew and that Neelix was the chef and uh, we know in, uh, in, in in Enterprise that there's some kind of chef there's this unseen chef that we see making this food for everyone um, and that you know Captain Archer can invite whoever the heck he wants to into his private dining area so what do you think about this I mean obviously we're we're ahead of like the replicator stuff, like we're we see later on. But what what do you think about like having a galley and stuff on this starship? Yeah, it, it's interesting because like when you go into the mess hall, I guess um, I don't know if they could recall it the mess hall. They probably do, but like there's they like slide open these like doors and they just pull out whatever food they want. And so apparently the chef just makes a wide assortment. I don't know if he just makes a bunch of the same stuff or he makes a wide assortment and you get to choose. But it feels like like a hospital in a sense that like there's just you just go and you grab a plate of food and you go and sit down. You know, as opposed to honestly, I don't even think we ever there is a mess hall on the Enterprise D. I'm sure there is, right? But we just see people eating in ten forward, or mm-hmm. they're eating in their quarters. There's we never actually see a mess hall. I'm, I'm certain that there is on a ship of a thousand people, right? There's probably a lot of places to eat. But I, would I don't know. So. It's kind of cool, you know. It it wasn't you know ten forward. It wasn't a bar. It felt like a mess hall, a place where you actually go and eat. You know, yeah. hey, look, I'm gonna grab my food. I'm gonna wait in a line. Like like, literally, we saw lines like. Come on, let's wait in a line. I like I hate waiting in lines, but like, you know, like is like okay, we're going to wait in line to get my food. Does anyone enjoy waiting in line? I don't know. I mean, if you do. I hate lines. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like we we've seen I don't know, maybe I'm going crazy, but to me, I just recall seeing more of Captain's Mess than of the actual dining hall in the series. I mean, I feel like we saw a lot of dining hall. There were people there, you know, you usually always like, you saw Mako's in there during season three, and you would see like Travis and Hoshi talking in there all the time. Sure. Well, all, all in all, um, NX01. But we, we we did see the galley in in the greatest episode of of you know Enterprise. These are the voyages, right? Oh, Where on. Riker was Riker was playing the chef. There's one other episode too, and it's that same. It's the obsessive episode. Where Hoshi is. Oh yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. She's making her soup, her her family right. recipe. She's got to get it just right. She's got to get it just right. So there's at least two episodes of the galley. So mm-hmm. once um, was that season one and one is, you know, season four, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, that might be season two. I don't know. It was either end of season one or, or beginning of season two. I want to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, um, I don't know. 
Um, I'm just gonna kind of give um, give you kind of like free uh, range for, um, in terms of like maybe how you'd rate the the design, the functionality of of the NX01 Enterprise. Oh well, just just coolness factor. It's a ten. I really do. I I I love the look of the Enterpr- of the NX01 more, much more so than I do anything except for except for Voyager, which is also a ten. Like the Defiance, about a five in my opinion for the look of it. I'm not a fan of the Defiance look at all. But like I I just I I think it's really cool. I remember the first time I saw it right in the, in the pilot episode. It was you know. 20 years ago now god 20 oh. years ago oh. <laughs> i remember i remember oh. watching it uh man it, it looked cool and then and and i think the interior of it just looks cooler over time i remember thinking it was really weird all the time seeing archer in his ready room have to duck underneath like the rafters i was like why does he have to duck? Why couldn't they just build the ceiling bigger? <laughs> it was like, it was so weird. But, but I always go back to that that time I spent in that submarine. Like, we, we didn't even talk about the sleeping quarters, okay? But I remember we stayed when we were on the submarine. We stayed overnight, and we were in the we stayed in the the officers' quarters, right? Not the enlisted men, but the officers' quarters. And there was a bunk bed in there. It was three bunk beds high, and. I was in there with me, my brother, and Mark DeBusher. And they were like, you're taking the top bunk. No way we're climbing up there. I was like, oh. And I was like, the the edge of the, the submarine literally like rounded less than a foot above my head. And I'm, I'm here trying to sleep with this ceiling like rounded right in front of my head. And I'm like, yikes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like wake up really fast and and i'm always just reminded of that time sleeping in the submarine whenever i see archer in his ready room ducking under the rafters as he's walking by because like the ship is so small right and i just it was weird back then but i i think it just adds to the the effect and the idea that this is in the past and this ship is not that advanced you know we think it's in the future but it's really not all that advanced Right. And, I, and I love it. I, I really do. I think the ship is really cool. I think the time that they spent into to make it look like it was in Star Trek's past, as opposed to what Discovery has done, it doesn't look like it's in the past. And I mean, the ship is a ten for me. I, I really do. I, I love it. There's, um, um, yeah, like most most of the people on on this particular ship, like they were bunking together. So it's not like. You know the Hilton in space, like we see the, the with the Enterprise D for crying out loud. God, their their quarters are massive. Like Captain Picard's quarters are gigantic. That's like a house, a small two bedroom house, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like people are like bunking together, um, and, and I mean, and you still kind of see that like even in in Star Trek Lower Decks, like there's like this random hallway on the Cerritos where people are just like in yeah, these yeah. bunk bed looking things. Uh, cool, I guess. I mean, like yeah, where do you it. change? Where do you change? Locker room in a hallway, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, <clears throat> but um, the one maybe one reference to maybe help some people out that maybe haven't been on a submarine 
don't have the experience that you do, Eric, with, you know, Bunkin or maybe they haven't seen Enterprise for whatever reason, but they have seen uh, Monk, the, the TV show Monk. I don't know if you've ever seen Monk. Have you, Eric? With Tony Shalhoub? I've seen a handful of episodes. I've seen a handful of episodes, but not the whole thing. Okay. So um, my, my wife was, you know, started watching Monk um, several months back and I just, I mean, I would like kind of walk through like the living room while she was watching it and I started to like just watch it with her and started really enjoying it and I want to say it's like around season six or seven ish I want to say that um, Monk um, ends up on a submarine by accident or or, you know goes out to sea how do you end up on a submarine by accident (laughs) it's funny I guess it's it's part of the plot or something like that um and there's a part where like he's having to sleep and he thinks that he's going to be like in a bed by himself nope and it's like those that very claustrophobic like bunk bed kind of thing so um i i can't remember the the episode name or number off the top of my head but it's there in in like one of the the latter seasons where you know mr monk goes underwater mr monk goes on a submarine or Something like that. I don't know what it is, but um, I think that's that's a good, maybe a good image for people that might want to look to kind of compare it to what you know we see in, in Star Trek Enterprise. So uh, for me, I love I love the show. Um, I've I've said that before. It's definitely in my uh, top three uh, for Star Trek shows. That um, for me, Enterprise has a lot of uh, rewatch value. That's just me. Other people might disagree, and that's okay. I love coming back and watching Enterprise as much as I can. And I'm biased, but I love the design of of this um, ship. Um, I love how it really, you know, bridges the gap between, you know, where we are in the 21st century, even where, you know, the Star Trek, our future, the Star Trek future is in the late 21st century, you know, with, you know, the flight of the phoenix and things like that and you know 80 some odd years later with the launch in 2151 Uh, i think it's a beautiful design it was um, partly based off of i believe the akira class starship that we see later on which i'm not the biggest fan of the akira class that's just me but it's still it's still different enough to not be the akira and i like that Um, so i'm going to give it a 10 um, and just how uh, I, I just think it's perfect. I think it's perfect um, in, in just the fact that they build upon it and just how they refine it, um, especially as we get to the Zindi arc and even to an extent, you know, when we get to the, the series finale and there have been more changes. I mean, there's more like some minor aesthetic changes, but just seeing the progression and the improvement as we go on those like the 10 years, basically, you know, like the like 10, 15 some odd years that we have with the, the crew to an extent um, within the, the the timeline that it takes place in. So um, great ship. Uh, we're going to talk about more ships down the road, but um, I just thought we'd kind of, you know, maybe we'll take like a chronological approach in terms of talking about ships. Maybe we won't. Uh, why don't you guys just tell us what you want and we'll we'll entertain it. <laughs> I mean, who knows? We might talk about the the Luna class next for all I know. 
Um, is that the medical ship, the Luna class? No, uh, the Luna class is the Titan. The uh, oh, okay, okay. Um, I think Olympic class is the uh, is Crusher's medical ship. Okay, all right. I'm not I'm not up to on all the class names. Okay, that's fine. I got I got Constitution, Galaxy, Sovereign, Intrepid, Excelsior. NX. I think that's all like and NX, okay. I think those are like the, the classes that I, I know for certain that is the class of ship. Okay. Fair enough. So. I, I I know the Klingon classes, right? You know, the Warbird, the the Negvar, right? The the Cardassian Galar class, right? The Romulan D Daredex. I know those. I got those. <laughs> Well, we will we'll definitely get to uh, more of the aliens um, and stuff and like cultures and society um, as a discussion as well down the down the line as well. So um, I, I've enjoyed this conversation. I mean, it was kind of like a drive by fruiting, but I think we had like I, I, I mean, I got to geek out um, in yeah. in a way that I don't feel like I normally do geek out on these shows. And I I, I have geeked out before, but um, I, I just. I love talking about the the original Enterprise, the quote unquote original yeah. Enterprise. Yeah, <laughs> we all know Kirk's was the original Enterprise, but you know within the the canon of of Star Trek, it's the original Enterprise. So, um, anyway, by the way, Eric, you can see this, but some of our but our, our listeners can't. I got me. This this sweet looking sweatshirt, you see that? I know. I definitely I definitely noticed it right right away when we first started recording. I did. <laughs> no, I I'm serious. I did notice it. I love uh, this this sweatshirt is just so darn comfortable. By the way, um, so I'm wearing the the star date, um, uh, the star date of our show sweatshirt. So check out uh, trtvpod.com um, slash merch for like different things it's it's on there so if you want to check it out so uh eric thanks for for joining me again thanks for being a good friend and uh, being a good sport talking trek with me um, i know we talk trek even if we weren't recording on microphones yeah you know i mean i love talking trek i i love star trek i love talking to with, about you and i love geeking out too i'm like i you said you're surprised that you're this big of a nerd geek i'm not okay fair enough i'm not surprised at all <laughs> That for me, I mean, I'm not surprised that I am this big of a nerd who likes to geek out this much. I can dig it. Well, gang, um, you know, as we as we wrap up today, we have some um, we have some some content that um, we have planned for y'all talking, um, you know, here in the next couple weeks, we'll have some um, some discussion about Klingons and Klingon society. So if you're really into Klingons, you know, make sure you check in later this month for, um, a discussion about Klingons. And, uh, we'll also have a conversation about, um, uh, we're going to start talking about some parodies and, um, the impact that parodies have had on, on the fandom and just, you know, the public in general. So, um, make sure you t- tune in for that here in the next couple weeks. Um, you know, here in, um, in May, can you believe it? We're in May of 2021 for crying out loud. And um, anyways, it's hope you guys. Be, it's gonna be May. It's gonna be May. Should I play that as the <laughs> outro? <laughs> Do it. Don't Do tempt it now. me. Do it. <laughs> Don't tempt I, me, Frodo. I, 
Well, I was I saw that um I can't remember what it was, but somebody suggested that they they change that it's going to be May to something to do with Britney Spears. Oh god, I wish I could remember exactly what they said. Can't think of like what Britney Spears song like has like the word oh, oh my loneliness is killing May. <laughs> Instead of my loneliness is killing me. I think that's what it was. Well, here we are at the end of May and um <laughs> beginning of May. <laughs> oh man good old no strings attached great album so um anyways i hope i hope all y'all um enjoyed today's episode if you did make sure that you uh tune in um that you you know and, and listen tell your friends about it we'd love 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 to you know spread the news of trek with everybody and um anyways uh, continue supporting the show. You know, you can do that by, you know, listening, of course, sharing it on your, your socials. And, um, do you hear that? It's going to be May. I'm getting distracted listening to some NSYNC while I'm trying to do an outro. <laughs> Maybe this was not a good idea. All right. So, um, anyways, make sure you, you tell your friends about it, share it with your friends. And, uh, you know, if you like what you heard, or you have some thoughts, you know, you want to tell us some some ideas that you might have about the NX-01, about the show Star Trek Enterprise, or any of the cast, or the crew, or experiences that you've had with them, or just, you know, what the show or the ship means to you, you know, nerd out with us, geek out with us, send us a note. We'd love that. Uh, make sure you check out trtvpod.com, um, and you can uh, go to our Hailing Frequencies tab and do it that way. You can also send us an email to trtvpod at gmail.com and uh, and we'll we'll get it that way if you also want to send us a voice only transmission you can do that to 817-752-4757 that's 817-752-4757 remember there's a three minute time limit and your comments may be used on a future episode of this amazing podcast and uh, uh, apart from that if you are feeling kind of old school like from 2151 uh, you can, you know, send us um, a letter. You can send us a package or whatever you want to do. Um, make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455 Azel, Texas 76098. Um, as we leave here today, again, thank you for all that you do. And again, thank you, Katie, for your support. Thank you, Ensign Katie, for your support. We appreciate it. And uh, don't be afraid of the wind, y'all. We know things blow in and out. Just don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the wind. We gotta we gotta roll with it. But more importantly than that, as we leave here today, we always remember to boldly go and make it sound.